Today I'm beginning a two-day series on a change in the priesthood as we find out about the priesthood of the New Testament. And we're going to take an Old Testament character that's often been mysterious. His name is Melchizedek. We'll explain to you today. Was he Jesus? Let's go to the Word of God and find out together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Great to have you here today. Would you open up to Psalm 110? We're going to start there in just a moment. We're going to talk today about a change in the priesthood. And we're going to talk about Melchizedek being a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, how the two tie together. And so it's going to be a great teaching. And all this comes mainly from the book of Hebrews. And of course, I've got the book of Hebrews right here, not the book of Hebrews. I've got my book on the book of Hebrews. But of course, you're going to be blessed by it. And a lot of this is simply explained in the book of Hebrews about Melchizedek, so much of it. Yet Melchizedek is mentioned throughout the Word of God. Psalm 110 will be the first mention of him, and I'll bring that up here, outside of the actual uh, time he appeared in chapter 14 15 of Genesis. We're going to talk about the fact this is when he's uh, compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, we're gonna have a great fascinating study. This book will be available to you. We'll talk about it at halftime, the break, and you can find out how you can have a copy of it for yourself. And like I said, the book of Hebrews, this is my uh, interpretation, translation, looking into the book of Hebrews. But of course, you're going to be totally blessed by it. And again, I know you're going to be. So Psalm 110, glad all of you are joining me today. And for those of you joining for the first time, glad to have you here today. And uh, for those of you here for the 50th time, thank you. Gluttons for punishment? No, you just love the word of God. Isn't it getting hard to find just somebody that just teaches the Word of God? There's 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 a number of them out there. Thank God for them. But it seems like the numbers are dwindling. People just want a good inspirational, uh, you know, life lesson from the Word of God. And that's not what we're here to do. I believe if we explain the Word of God, let it open it up for itself, let the Hebrew or the Greek open it up, or even just take a look as it stands in, in one of the translations, the Word of God speaks for itself. And believe me, if there are about, you know, 20, 30,000 people watching right now at this time, the Holy Spirit can divide it up 20 to 30,000 different ways and speak to you what you need. That's the facets of the Word of God. I'm not important. You're not important. But the Word of God lives and abides forever. Psalm 110, we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 6. And here it says, The Lord said to my Lord, this is God the Father, the Lord, said to my Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will send the rod of your strength out of Zion. So rule in the midst of your enemies. This is a reference to the coming tribulation. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ coming back to rule the world. And he simply says, sit here until. So I, I make your enemies your footstool. Two things it said about Jesus in heaven as he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And that is the fact he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's what's being referred to here. And when it says, the Lord said to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand. This was at the point where Jesus completed the work of the cross, was buried, dead, quickened, raised, walked on the earth for 40 days and ascended into heaven and right now is being seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Father says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is the beginning of the church age, a prophetic reference to when the church age began at the seating of Jesus at the right hand of the Father and then the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church began. In essence, Jesus Christ is Alpha and Omega and we are all the letters in between. I mean, we started with Beta on the day of Pentecost and then Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, 
on right on down today. And I believe we are entering the letter Psi, if not coming to the middle or the end of the letter Psi. And the next letter is going to be Omega. And at that time, whenever that alphabet's finished, God the Father's gonna say to him, okay, now it's time. And the rapture will occur, we'll go to heaven. And now Jesus Christ, again, at that point, will take over as Omega. What he did as Alpha, we cannot do. What he will do as Omega, we cannot do. We can do what we can do in between. And now the Lord is working with us, confirming the word with signs following. But we also have the fact here, the church age is coming to an end. And when it does, then the tribulation will come. Jesus Christ will be during that time working against the forces of darkness. At the end of the tribulation will destroy the works of darkness. And so he says here in verse two, the Lord will send the rod of your strength out of Zion. So rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will be willing in the day of your power in the beauty of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. You, Jesus Christ, are a priest for ever after the order of Melchizedek. Notice it's not the order of the Old Testament and it's not the priesthood of the uh, time of the law. No, he says you are a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at your right hand will strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill the places with the dead bodies and wound the heads of many countries. Let's talk about who is this Melchizedek. Again, a reference is made to him here in Psalm 110. And notice it's a reference to Jesus Christ. That's why many people say that Melchizedek was a manifestation of Jesus Christ himself. He came as the angel of the Lord. He came as the rock, but he also came as Melchizedek. And this just is not true. Melchizedek is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ never became a human being until he was born of Mary and arrived in the uh, manger that day. And that was the point where he entered this world as a human being. Until that time, he never appeared as a human being. He appeared as the angel of the Lord. Again, like I said, he was the rock that followed the children of Israel. He was the fire by night. He was the cloud by day. Uh, there's so many different references and ways that he appeared in the Old Testament. But Melchizedek is what, not one of them. Melchizedek is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Melchizedek appears in Genesis 15. So if you'd like to open to Genesis chapter 15 with me, please do so. We're going to take a look at verses 17 through 20. And here uh, we have the fact that Abraham came back from a battle and he fought against five different kings. And the kings he fought against had taken the people, had actually taken his own nephew, Lot, and their family, taken the wives, taken the kids, taken all the possessions. And these men came back to their camp. And guess what? All this had happened. And now Abraham's going to take a small army and go defeat five armies. And it says in Genesis 15, verse 17, this is when he came back and he had all of the riches, the spoils of the enemy. He came back with the women, the children. He came back with everything and more. And he defeated with his small army, all these other armies by the help of God. And it says, now, as he came back into town, guess who met him first? It says the king of Sodom in verse 17. Genesis 15, 17, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, Abraham, after his return from the slaughter of Ketolaomer and of the kings who were with him in the valley of Shavah. 
which is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread. Notice the king of Sodom, who represents the king of evil, and then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and Salem is short for Jerusalem. And we have here the fact that these two came out to meet him, but the king of Sodom came, uh, came and along with him, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And he was the priest of the most high God. Notice this, he was the priest of the most high God, not a priest of the most high God. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. This is representation of the shed blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And talking about the only means we have of a coming to God is through the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. He brought this out and he was priest of the most high God. And he, that's Melchizedek, blessed him, that is Abraham and said, blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the most high God who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he, that's Abraham, gave him Melchizedek tithes of all. Notice this, he said, I look to the Lord. He said, blessed be the most high God who's delivered your enemies into your hands. Why was this key and why was this important? Is because after coming back from the battle, there's a real tendency to look at yourself and said, look what we did. Surrounded by an army that said, look what we did. And Melchizedek says, no, look what God has done. You couldn't do it. You're not strong enough. You're not enough in number. You're not militarily minded. This group that you went against were, and God defeated them through you. So again, he says, bring your attention back to the Lord. And of course, it says here in verse 20, and blessed be the most high God who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes of all. The tithes are mentioned here, although they have been found before in the word of God. This is not the first mention of tithes, but notice this. He gave, Abraham gave the tithes to the one who represented the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the one we always give to. We don't just give to a church. We don't just give to a ministry. Whether it's tithes or offerings, we are really giving through that person to the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll quote this later in the book of Hebrews. What we have here is Abraham gave his spoils out of gratitude, out of gratitude toward God who had defeated the enemies. That's the reason why we give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. We don't give because we're trying to bribe God. We don't give because we're trying to impress people. We give because we love the Lord and realize as I give out of gratitude to him, Bob's not the one who's perfected a ministry. Bob's not the one who has studied the word of God and received revelation. God has done all that for me. I just simply went to the word of God with an open heart and a call that God placed on my heart and revelation starts to come. We have a story at Ziklag David gave out of gratitude to those who hid him from Saul. His men didn't want to do that. David, when they came back with the spoils, David's men, this battle at Ziklag is so much like Abraham coming back here. At Ziklag, David and his men came to the city where they were encamped and their families were gone, their possessions were gone, and they had burned the camp there and the men were mad at David. Turned on David out of that and blamed him for all this. And David simply went to the Lord and the Lord told him, go pursue them, you'll take them, overtake them. And with a small army, David went out and defeated a, a huge army, brought back the wives and children and spoils and also spoils from other battles, uh, 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 servants from other battles, brought them back to the camp. And David's men there were so grieved, they grabbed everything and started to grab it for themselves. But David was the only one who was God-centered. All his men and the ones who stayed there, in fact, the ones who came back from battle with David didn't want to give anything to the men that protected what little was there. And David said, no, those that have stayed by the stuff 
will be rewarded equally with those who went to battle. David's heart was for people. David's heart was for God. And the moment that David had all this money in his hand, he jumped on his horse and went riding off. And you know what he did with that money? He gave it to the kings who hid him. During the time that he was running from Saul, he, they hid him from Saul and David went back and blessed them financially out of love toward God and love toward them and thankfulness toward God and thankfulness toward them. David was God-centered before and after the victory. His men were not. Melchizedek, in this case, didn't ask for the tithe. He only blessed Abraham. What a tremendous sign, a sign of how we are to give. We don't give because we're trying to impress God or buy or open doors for ourselves. Again, Abraham gave voluntarily out of love and gladness. Cheerfully he gave, and Abraham also gave without asking for a return. Yet after Abraham gave to Melchizedek, God told him he would be his shield from now on and his exceeding great reward. In other words, financial blessing. That's Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. So we find out here in this verse of scripture again that Melchizedek came to meet him and Melchizedek was the one that pointed him back to the Lord. But again, Melchizedek is not Jesus Christ. He's a type of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of it is what we're going to learn in Colossians, what we're going to learn in Hebrews, the rest of this particular lesson and tomorrow is the importance of how Jesus Christ came to this earth and picked up at the very tail end, he picked up a priesthood and the priesthood he picked up was not Aaron of the Old Testament, but Melchizedek. We'll see you when we come back from the break. The first Hebrew believers turned Jerusalem and the world upside down. But in 70 short years, they had become bogged down in legalism by mixing Judaism and Mosaic law with their faith. This tainted doctrine crept into the rest of the church and provoked Paul to respond with an intricate and astounding revelation of Jesus Christ. In this New Testament commentary on Hebrews, Bob Yandian employs historic biblical detail and subtleties in the original Greek to dissect Paul's brilliant argument for the superiority of Jesus Christ the mature believer's walk, the reality of authority, and the importance of faith. To order this New Testament commentary on Hebrews, visit our website at bobbyendian.com. Understanding the end times, one of the most incredible and fascinating doctrines in the Word of God, will bring us comfort for the days in which we live. The Bible says we are to encourage and exhort one another with the knowledge of Jesus returning for His saints. In Understanding the End Times, Pastor Bob Yandian provides a thorough and exciting study to give you more revelation of these times in which we live. Topics include the seven dispensations, the dispensation of the mystery, the rapture of the church, the judgment seat of Christ, Daniel's 70 weeks, the temple discourse, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. To order Understanding the End Times, visit bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com 
and click on Partnership. Welcome back. I want to also say to those that are watching today that are partners with me, thank you for being a partner. And I want to say to those who are thinking about it, praying about being a partner, quit thinking and praying, just become a partner. And you don't have to necessarily even hear the voice of God, just do it because it's the right thing to do. And on top of that, you're giving into a ministry that blesses you. I had a note sent to me the other day from a woman. And there's one, one broadcast I did where it was called Take Off Your Shoes because it was such a powerful uh, authority on the fact we're standing on holy ground. And I took my shoe off and put it on my head and talked for the next few minutes with the shoe on the top of my head, showing again the value we have. And also that you're not only standing on the anointing of God, but also Satan is under our feet and that shoe represents it. And so as I was doing that, there was a lady that was watching the broadcast. She said she had been so under conviction and she had not been following. I mean, literally she in her life had not been following the peace of God. And she said she was just down. All of a sudden she saw that and she'd been trusting God for healing. But when she saw that, she started laughing, got her attitude right. And she said, again, prayed and God healed her. So again, this is the type of testimonies we get this is what you're giving into. And again, what a blessing it was to receive that testimony and hundreds of others that keep on coming through. Thank you for that. This is the type of ministry you're giving into. So if you haven't become a partner with me yet, what are you waiting for? I'd be glad to join you in my heart, first of all, and next of all, in our giving to where I give you the word of God and you return it back with finances so we can get this message out to people that can't afford it or don't even know about it. But you know what? We're not asking for anything from God. We're just simply saying, Lord, we're going to send it out there and your word is going to do the work and people will be saved, filled with the Holy Spirit and all this. So go to my website, bobbyandian.com. You'll find a place where you can become a partner with me. Turn to Colossians chapter one. Let's take a look at the New Testament on the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ and also the fact that Jesus Christ has taken over the priesthood of Melchizedek. Jesus did not take over the Old Testament priesthood under the law. He bypassed that and discontinued at the place where Melchizedek left off, Melchizedek being a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter one, take a look at verses 18 and 19 with me. And it says here, he is the head. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body. That's the body of Christ, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Jesus Christ is the total sum of the body of Christ. He's the head, but represents everything else. And from the head flows all the information and all the blessings that come to the body, but from the body flow up again, all the things that he watches out for. And so from our fingers, when we touch something, the head receives the signal, figures out what to do. And for all these things, God is watching over us. He's in the midst of our trials. He knows what's going on, has blessings for us, has advice for us, and has direction for us. So Jesus Christ has the preeminence because he is all in all. It pleased the Father that in him, Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 20, we have that same verse we began with in Psalm 110 verse 4, that Jesus Christ is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I want you to know it doesn't say he is Melchizedek. He is after the order of Melchizedek. So many people have said today that Melchizedek is Jesus. Jesus is Melchizedek. And that just like Jesus appeared as the angel of the Lord, just like he appeared as a rock, the other forms he came in the Old Testament, the uh, the burning bush. No, 
He was those things, but in this case, he was not. Melchizedek was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll find that out in the next chapter in Hebrews chapter seven. But again, I wanna read that verse of scripture to you. Jesus is today, right now, a high priest forever after the order not, he is not Melchizedek, but after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek came to show an order as was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came back later to fulfill that type because Melchizedek is a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not a type of Melchizedek, but picked up the priesthood Melchizedek began, which was so radically different than that, which is found in the time of Moses, in the time of the priesthood of Aaron. Next chapter, chapter seven, we're gonna take a look at verses one through 17. So hang in there with me as we go through these verses, then I'm gonna come back and explain them. This is all speaking about Melchizedek, beginning in verse one, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God. He's the only priest who ever came who was a king and a priest at the same time, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Under the law, the kingdom came from one tribe and the priesthood came from another. It says this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. That is Abraham blessed Melchizedek, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part, that's the tithe of all. First being by interpretation, king of righteousness, after that king of Salem. Notice two things are brought about here. And then the third one right after it, king of peace. All these are attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he was not the king of righteousness, by interpretation he is. After that also the king of Salem and the king of peace. Verse three, without recorded father. I'm gonna re qualify that because your translations say without father, without mother. And people say, see, that's the, that's the type here we have that he was really Jesus Christ because he didn't have a father or a mother. No, what the Hebrew is saying is without recorded father, without recorded mother. The reason why it's not given there is so it looks even more like a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you take a look at the Old Testament priesthood, their pedigree is right there. Who they came from, their father, their grandfather, or the tribe, they came from, but none of that is given about Melchizedek because he's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He just suddenly showed up. Where did he show up? In Jerusalem. Salem, here's the city of Jerusalem. And what's it called? King of peace. And also, again, he is the king of righteousness. All these are types of Jesus Christ. But verse three says, without recorded father. And so he did not, again, come without a father or a mother. No, it just wasn't, the, the pedigree wasn't given there. So that's how come he's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, without recorded father, without recorded mother, without recorded descent. This is the pedigree. Those who behind him have led up to him, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. It doesn't record here what his birthday was nor did it record his life ending, but he did have a beginning of days. He did have a life ending, but the Bible is simply saying we picked out this point in his life and simply boom, he's there all of a sudden walking in and he's a type of Jesus Christ. And notice the rest of verse three, hang on to this, but made like the son of God, abides a priest, continue. Notice this, he was made. He's not like Jesus Christ who for, or forever has been here. He was made and made like the son of God and he abides a priest continually. What it means is he simply was on the scene. So you don't know where he came from, how long he'd been a priest before, how long he's a priest after. It, it has the appearance here. He was eternal. He wasn't, he was human, but he represented somebody who was human and represented somebody that was eternal. And that's Jesus Christ. Verse four, notice this. Now consider how great this man was. Notice this 
Zacchaeus, he was a human being. He was not Jesus Christ, he was just a man. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And truly, those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brothers, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. The greater one here was Melchizedek, and the one who was less was Abraham. And Abraham bowed before him because he recognized him as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here, I like what the Greek is indicating here. For here and now, men who die receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. People said, oh look, Melchizedek's in heaven receiving our tithes. No, the one he represents is in heaven receiving our tithes. And I want you to know something about verse eight. And here and now, that's what it's referring to. At this point, these verses were written after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and ascension into heaven and seating at the right hand of the Father. What does it mean? Tithing existed after the law was over and into the church age. Tithes are mentioned here, and it goes on to say, just like Melchizedek received them out of Abraham's hands, I give them to men. Here, men who die receive the tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. And this is not Melchizedek, it's the one Melchizedek represented, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we give tithes here, I give to the to pastor of the church or the leadership or you know whoever's receiving the offering, they take it and they put it in the bank and all this, but I really didn't just give to them, I gave to God. The one who blessed me, saved me, me, done everything for me, and it's witness that he ever lives. Verse 9, and as I may say so, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. Whoever you pay your tithes to is the greater. Notice this Levi, who later received tithes from the people, was in the loins of Abraham when Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, showing that Levi also was giving tithes to Melchizedek. And simply saying again here, Levi was the lesser, Melchizedek is the greater. Jesus brought that out. Oh, it was a good priesthood under the law, but you know what? It wasn't the priesthood that is eternal. It had a beginning and it had an end. And so we had one before that that they gave tithes to, and that's Melchizedek without a recorded beginning or end of day. He's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give into an eternal priesthood headed up by Jesus Christ and a representative of him from the Old Testament named Melchizedek. I know this is a lot to take in, but this verse is a lot to take in. That's why you need my book on the book of Hebrews. It'll help you understand these because we break it down. It goes on to say in verse 11, so if perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? When Jesus Christ came, he literally bypassed the entire priesthood of Levi and went back and connected with the priesthood 
of Melchizedek. It's kind of like Melchizedek was there and gone for a moment, then Jesus comes back and connects to this one, showing that Melchizedek represented an eternal priesthood. And the ones in between were the law, but Jesus came to fulfill the law and went right back to a man who stood for grace, a man who stood for simple faith, and that was Melchizedek meeting Abraham in the way. So verse 11 says, if we're perfectual by the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also in the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertain to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. It's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning a priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, for after the similitude of Melchizedek, there should arise another priest who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the law of an endless life, for he testifies you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll take up tomorrow right here where we left off. Have a great day, and I'll join you again tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. Join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.